You're listening to episode 48 of the National Centre for Writing podcast. Every week we talk about the writing life and discover exciting new projects. It's 12th of June 2019 here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. I'm Simon Jones and I'm joined by my inimitable colleagues Steph McKenna. Hello. And Peggy Hughes. Hello. Coming up today we've got an interview with Bulgarian writer Ivanka Mogilska, who did a residency here in Norwich back in 2018. Uh, in the interview she talks about the writing of a new short story and Peggy is here for a very exciting reason, which is that you're going to be reading it for us. Yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> Our first audio book, book at bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can have like Peggy reads. Lunchtime reads with Peggy. Oh, goodness, I love that guy. He's don't overpromise this oh. stuff. <laughs> Watch um, this space. So before that, uh, I thought we could talk about the Dragon Horse Salon, of which mm. we had one yesterday evening. We did indeed. Yeah, an absolutely lovely occasion, despite the horrible weather horrible we've been having weather. in Norwich. <laughs> didn't put didn't put Norwich off the writing fearless, community off. Yeah. Fearless. Writers turned up. So. Droves of him. Um, yeah, no, we had a lovely lineup. Yeah. So we had our current resident, yeah. who is JY Yang from Singapore, writer of um, SF science fiction mm-hmm. and speculative fiction, yes, and so who on. Who we fantasy. will be getting on the podcast soon. Yeah, lovely. it was really nice to meet them and hear mm. more about their work and what they're up to while they're with us here in the in Dragon Hall and in the cottage. Um, we had Annette Brooks, who is the communications manager at the Royal Society of Literature. Oh, excellent. Um, and Annette was here really to talk to us about, um, on one hand, Dalloway Day. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will have heard of Bloomsday, which is a, an annual um, booze that you've been day for. Oh, I wow. Have. Well, so you know, Steph. Yes. Um, for those maybe not, not clued in, it's um, an annual celebration of James Joyce, mm-hmm. um, sort of pub crawl. Um, in Lots the of music and of, drinking in, yeah. in the streets and events. Lots of crack. It's lovely. And Dalloway Day, uh, as Annette last night said, there are fewer pubs, that is no pubs in Mrs. Dalloway. But lots uh, of tea rooms. Lots, lots of, tea rooms, of tea rooms, lots of kind of genteel, uh, you know, party guests and nice food. So it's very uh, British. Very, yeah, very wolf, you know, very, very Bloomsbury. Mm. And so Dalloway Day is uh, an excuse to sort of raise a teacup to, to wolf and to, to Dalloway. So Annette was here to talk about that and also, um, and very excitingly, about a big bit of research that they commissioned at the Royal mm. Society of Literature. Um, in the 90th anniversary of A Room of One's Own um, to ask what exactly is it that writers today um, need to thrive and, mm. and you know, kind of produce their best work. Yeah, so. I'm really looking forward to that because people have so many different ways of writing these I can days. imagine it's going to be such a range, especially when I've, I mean, being here speaking to writers and at the salon actually yeah. learning that, you know, some people need isolation, some people are looking for a network of people, and it's just really yeah. interesting. Some people yeah. use loads of digital tools. Yeah. Some people like a notepad and pen a pen. And paper, and yeah. It's such a broad church. And I think it will be. I think they had 2,000 respondents. Oh, wow. That's really good. Which is a lot. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that'll be released on Wednesday next week, the That's 19th. Exciting. We'll hear all then. So, we'll yeah, so that, about was, that, and things, I that was lovely to hear from Annette. And, and you know, to get to show around Dragon Hall, I, we'd never met. And so that was that was a very, a very nice pleasure. Um, and then finally, we heard from Helen Ivory as well, mm. who's local to these parts and has just um, published her collection of poetry called The Anatomical Venus. Um, so that was great fun. We ended with a couple of poems. It felt kind of quite future-looking because JY's work is mm, you know, kind of really mm. futuristic. And I think, what did, what did they say? That they set Joan of Arc in 10,000 years into the future. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, they, they were cool. complaining about the amount of research required to do historical fiction. Mm. But then you could take the same story yeah. and do it in the future and you can just get on with it. The rules are broke. Yeah. Uh, so they were talking about that. And then we had Annette talking about very much what writers need today. Mm-hmm. And then we had Helen and her poetry was really looking at kind of amazing past themes. There was one piece about witches and, you know, close to our hearts mm-hmm. here at Dragon Hall. So, so it was nice, wasn't it? It was quite a lot of kind of 
past, present, future stuff yeah. going on. It's, it's very good. And yeah, this is the, the Dragon Horse Salon, which we do every month. Mm. And the next one is the 16th of July. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And it's here at Dragon Hall, obviously. And it's free. Anyone can show up. Any Whatever kind of writing you do, or if you're just kind of orbiting around writing in mm. some manner. Thinking about writing. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Reader. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't matter if you're... Yeah, yeah, if you're a reader. I mean, I don't. I haven't written for years, apart from one slightly failed attempt at... Uh, Nano Rhyme. Nano last year. I will carry on. Um, but yeah, even that, you know, yeah. it's, it's very welcoming for me. And... Yeah, we have published writers, unpublished, self published, every possible stage you can be at mm-hmm. is represented, yeah. which is a really lovely atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I would say don't be put off by the word salon. Oh, no. Um, I think, so, you know, in case some people are, it's, it's such an informal occasion. Mm-hmm. It's We get a bit of music last night. My terrible, embarrassing Spotify playlist <gasps> happened to hit the waves. Yeah, I mean, it's, what was it? Was it not kind of like. Um, it was uh, too unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> the no song whatever that's called so yeah that, that was very uh, careless whisper on there, no? maybe yeah, it's, it's um, Daniel O'Donnell um, the usual uh, so yeah it's a bit of that it's a bit of you know fewer to more guests there's a chance for you to share your stuff yeah, you know if you've got a project really or an opportunity well. or an event coming up it's really nice I really look forward to it each month so just a quick reminder that we do have the 50th episode of the podcast coming up and we're going to be celebrating one year of the National Centre for Writing with our chief exec, Chris Gribble. So if you have any questions, uh, send in your questions and we will put them to Chris. Just can, I, can I send in a question right now? Yes. Chris Gribble, what is the book that changed your life and made you want to do the work you do today? Ooh, I bet he's got a few Boom. as well. Take that. Yeah. Oh, I have bet that. whichever, it'll be a good one. It'll be a good one. Do you think we should prep him so he can think of a really good one or should we just ambush him? Just put him on the spot and just yeah. think he, he, can, he can cope. Excellent. So before we uh, head over into our interview with Ivanka, um, which is conducted by Kate Griffin, our Associate Programme Director who handles all of our international stuff, um, we have the new short story from Ivanka, which Peggy is going to be reading. And it's all about St. Peter Mancroft Church, which is a particular favourite of yours. Simon, that's correct. I just think it's a very handsome church, very very prominent and dominant in our city centre by the by the library. So I find myself gazing at it quite a lot, being a frequent visitor to the library. Um, and yeah, it was only a pleasure to get to try and, and bring animation to Ivanka's story uh, about this very special uh, this church, very close to my heart. The Miracle of St Peter Mancroft by Ivanka Mogilska. Anastasia Sabeva got lost almost immediately after the tour guide told them they had the afternoon free to explore the city on their own. Anastasia didn't have any particular place in mind to visit, had a rather vague idea of her whereabouts and wasn't completely sure she could find her way back to the hotel. She was making yet another round of the open-air market. The shopkeepers had already started putting away their merchandise and cleaning their stalls. Her left knee was twinging and she was thirsty and exhausted. Many years ago, in school, she had studied French. She had picked up a handful of words in English while helping her children with their homework back in the day. All those English language courses she had attended over the years were left unfinished. Something else always came up. She managed to buy a bottle of water from a smiling lady her own age by stuttering and agitated finger pointing and even scored a free salad in a carton bowl as a gift. She was tossing the wilted cucumber slices, the tart beans and the onions in her mouth and was wondering what to do with the remaining hours until dinner time. And then it started raining. She glanced over the deserted market and finally noticed the church dome towering over the colourful stall tents. Limping, she made her way to the church. Sudden serenity overcame her once she entered, leaving the city clamour outside the doorstep. 
Streams of softened, murky light seeped through the large windows, glided over the empty pews and formed rivulets on the floor. She sat down and looked around. To her surprise, the church walls were white and empty, without icons, and the interior was welcoming and festive, as if someone was preparing for a family celebration. At least, that's what she imagined. A stark contrast with the imposing and rigid exterior. She unbuttoned her coat and sat in silence for a moment, her knee throbbing with pain, her whole being asking to go home. But she was far from home. This trip was a gift from her children a year after their father passed away. Why England? Why Norwich? She never knew. Maybe there was a free spot in one of those 55 plus age groups. She didn't want to hurt them and never told them a trip with her children would make her much happier, even if it was just a car ride to the next village over. She asked what clothes to take, stuffed two umbrellas into her luggage, which she eventually forgot in the hotel, and went on the trip. She couldn't make any friends in the group. Everyone was on the trip with their spouse or their own friends. Everyone had ideas, plans, opinions on what was to be done. She didn't have any. During those long days and even longer nights over the past year, she had played her life on a loop in her mind, if only to avoid answering the question that was pushing and shoving its way through her memories, not always quite succeeding in her effort. What are you going to do now, Anastasia? Her children were all grown up, good children, caring children, but they had their own lives now. Her friends were busy raising grandchildren and tomatoes. Her husband was finally at peace. She could do whatever her heart desired, but she had absolutely no idea what she wanted. She married young for love, but also to get away from her overbearing father. Turned out that the father of her children also had ideas about what Anastasia wanted and needed and what was good for her. She didn't want to upset him, so she agreed with him. Her marriage lasted 40 long and happy years. Then her husband died and Mrs Sabeva was left alone with her grief and with an unsettling feeling that something had to change in her life. But there was no one to tell her what it was. And there she was now, thousands of miles from home, a paper fork in one hand. She hadn't seen one of those, so she kept it. A bottle of water in the other, sitting alone in a Protestant church in Norwich, unable to quite decide what she wanted. Not that there was anyone who would be upset by her decisions, if they disapproved of them, but... What would the late Mr Sabev say if he could see her now? Later, she thought, I should call the children to tell them I'm having a great time. She got up and went about the church. Anastasia's grandmother had baptised her in secret as a child and she had accepted that God was forbidden and hadn't attempted to connect with him. She didn't want to endanger her family. The houses of those Englishmen looked like something out of a film. Even their churches resembled a motion picture set. She could see herself starting a new life here. Not that she had the money, not that she wanted to, but there was no one to stop her. There wasn't a single soul around. Her footsteps echoed inside the empty church. Anastasia went to check whether the rain had stopped. On her way out, she saw a little table with an open box on top of it, right next to the last column before the exit. The box was lined with a bright green satin cloth. She had one just like it at her wedding, where guests left money as a gift for the newlyweds. Elastic bands lined the walls of the box, holding folded yellow strips of paper. A pen, more yellow paper slips and a pile of leaflets with some short text on them sat next to the box. She tried to read it, but her rudimentary knowledge of English only allowed her to divine that she was inside the St. Peter Mancroft Church and offers and questions are presented to God every Wednesday during morning Mass at 9am. 
It was late Tuesday afternoon. She imagined the saint presenting himself in front of God every Wednesday and trying to decipher the agitated handwriting of the supplicants. He stutters and sweats profusely. God gets impatient while poor Peter tries hard to defend his parishioners and read as many supplications as possible by the end of morning mass. She had the sudden urge to help the saint, but also to learn what did those Englishmen discuss with God. She reached for a folded paper slip, but stopped herself. She had no business prying into other people's lives. Then again, there was no one around to see her. Unless St. Peter was home at that very moment, which she doubted, he had enough on his plate. People made mistakes all the time and needed to be protected and cared for. Besides, she probably wouldn't understand a word of what was written. She wouldn't know the words, she wouldn't be able to read the pleas, and she would calm down. Carefully, she picked one of the folded papers and was just about to read it when she heard steps approaching. Her heart pounding in her chest, she returned the paper, grabbed the pen and an empty slip and started writing, her hand trembling. Dear Lord, tell me, teach me. She folded it haphazardly, stuffed it under the elastic band and rushed towards the exit. The rain had stopped. The bluish, greyish twilight was crawling over the square and its tentacles were already reaching the surrounding streets. Anastasia Sabeva fixed her hair and clothes, tucked the disposable fork in her purse and plunged herself into the dusk. She really wasn't sure where she was going, but this didn't seem to bother her. She saw a small cafe, its windows lit and inviting. Maybe she should go inside and have a cup of tea. Didn't matter that she was alone. It wasn't such a scandalous idea. It was almost audacious. So she went in. She managed to order by pointing and waving her hands, saying, tea, tea, repeatedly. While waiting on her order, it dawned on her, she hadn't encountered a single soul on her way out of the church. She did hear footsteps behind her, but she never saw who they belonged to. Who was the person that interfered with her rash decision? Maybe, just maybe, God truly existed and St Peter Mancroft managed to get back on time to force her into writing her supplication. Maybe she would present hers to the saint tomorrow. Even now she felt at peace and inexplicably joyful. It was decided she would finish her tea, she would find the hotel and she would make it in time for dinner. She would be home in three days to thank her children for the wonderful experience, to visit her husband's grave, but she wouldn't go into any details about her experience at the church and to wait patiently for God's guidance on what to do. The minute her daughters met her at the station, they noticed her whole expression had changed. She was relaxed, her face gracious, the tense, bewildered and sad expression that they so often saw on her face over this past year had vanished. They thought it was the trip, so they promised to send her on another one soon. Anastasia was somewhat ashamed by her experience in the church, so she never told them about it. They didn't look up Peter Mancroft on Wikipedia, and no one ever told her that he never existed. So she lived the remaining 20 years of her life in peace, contentment and guidance by God. That was The Miracle of St. Peter Mancroft by Ivanka Mogilska, translated by Laura Petrova. Hello, I'm Kate Griffin, Associate Programme Director, and this week I'm joined by our Bulgarian writer-in-residence, Ivanka Mogilska, who is here with the support of the Elizabeth Kostova Foundation. Um, I thought I'd start by asking you just a little bit about your writing generally. I said writing career, and you laughed, but I guess that's... Not many, not the way many writers think about their their writing. But when did you start writing? Well, I start uh, when I I think my first book was published in uh, two thousand and four, 
and it was poetry collection and after that I have uh, four books uh, another poetry collection two novels and a collection of short stories it's my last book and um, I have uh, national prices uh, I've traveled with my book here and there mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know I just like to tell stories to the people and that's all. It's interesting that you've worked in all of the different forms from poetry to um, novels to short stories. What's made you move from one to the other? Do you still write poetry? No, actually I don't write uh, poetry anymore and I feel pity about that but uh, it's not up to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that uh, every story uh, needs a special form mm-hmm. and you just need to follow the story. You can't put uh, a big story in a short uh, form mm-hmm. or the opposite. And uh, I don't have a particular interest to uh, novels or short stories, it just like happened. So whatever the story comes along, you kind of yes, it comes with its yeah. own form. Yes, I just yes. follow the story. You said you've written two novels, is that yeah. right? Can you tell us what they were about? My first novel, I think that uh, uh, some people uh, define it like a first city novel. And uh, my second novel, it's my favorite mm-hmm. one, Southern Street. It's about uh, some cities, about art, about music, about uh, people trying to live uh, two lives in one. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it's possible at all, they're trying to figure it out mm-hmm. that. And uh, I think it's a novel for... Uh, chances and for the decision that we make and how they Mm -hmm. reflect to us uh, in our future Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a novel for love and art. What about the title Southern Street? It's uh, about uh, Paris and Sofia and Mm -hmm. Istanbul and a village in Serbia and uh, it's for Budapest also. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're, you're setting your stories in different places. Yes. Um, so do you travel a lot yourself? Yes. Are you inspired, yeah. you're writing inspired by your travels? Actually, when I started to think about Southern Streets in the beginning, uh, uh, I've just, I've never been anywhere to that mm. time. Mm. And uh, I start dreaming about uh, one city who included in itself all beautiful places from Europe, mm. and um, start imag- Im- and start imagining that mm-hmm. uh, someone could build that kind of city, and uh, that's uh, where everything begins with the book. And uh, after that, to I wrote her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've traveled a lot, actually. I was in Budapest, in Paris, in all these places. 
And uh, yes, traveling is one of my inspiration also for my short story collection. Mm. I've made a large trip by car for two or three months, I'm not sure mm. already. And uh, after that, uh, these short stories came up because I wanted to uh, tell not just what I saw in these places, but uh, how, uh, how they changed me. And I wanted to doing it by uh, telling uh, really specific situation. And has any of your work been um, translated? Southern Streets uh, is translated in Hungarian and mm -hmm. published there. And I have uh, translations and uh, published poems in different online magazines in English and mm -hmm. French and Russian. And uh, also I have a few short stories translated, mm -hmm. but I think that they are not published yet anywhere. When you applied to come on this residency, one of the things that we noticed in your application was that you wanted a chance to, you know, to write and to think about your short stories away from childcare demands. Yes, and I think that's that true. resonated with a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a son, and he's ten months old, and I really love him, but it's very difficult to find the time to write. Mm. And uh, I have a few ideas and I really wanted to work on them. Mm. So I just applied to come here and do that. But uh, it happens like... Uh, actually, I, I didn't work on my ideas. I have new ideas. <laughs> so I start to work on them. But it's, it, was, it was a really happy week for me. And what have you done while you've been here in Norwich as part of your residency? One of my inspiration was uh, uh, something that I saw in the St. Peter's Mancroft Church. Mm -hmm. These little yellow notes uh, on which you can uh, wrote your desire mm -hmm. and uh, uh, leave it there and it's written on these notes that uh, you, uh, your desire will be offered to God mm -hmm. on Wednesday at uh, 7.30. So is it like your wishes or your prayers will be offered to God? Yes. Yeah. The things that you, are important to you, the mm. things that you want will be offered to God. In mm. I don't know, but in Bulgarian, it, this, this phrase, offered to God, mm. uh, sounds very, very... Strange. Mm -hmm. It's like God has a uh, back office and uh, you have an appointment <laughs> and something like that. And that was really interesting for me. And I start to write a story about uh, a non-religious, really skeptical person who just entered there mm. on the ch in the church. And uh, what happens at first when he sees these notes, and after that, at the end of the story, he actually writes his wish, his mm -hmm. prayer, and it's uh, and the thing that he wrote is a really big surprise for him mm -hmm. also.
but it's my first draft so we'll see what will happen <laughs> i edit a lot actually mm -hmm. and uh, the cemetery also was inspiration for me because uh, the rosary cemetery yes yeah. did you read any of the prayers or wishes that you saw in the church no. as part of your research no <laughs> i really want to i i was at the church two times but i i don't feel it right but I won't, yeah. I'll be very curious to read your story when it's written, edited and translated. I've got a couple more questions, really. One was about, you know, which are your favourite writers, which are the writers that have influenced you most? I read a lot and reread also Giorgio Manganelli and Dino Bozzati, Italian authors. Mm. Um, I've read Alice Munro last mm. year while I'm writing my short stories and um, also Tuve Jansson, mm -hmm. her short stories, but uh, not for children and for adults. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I like Julian Barnes, mm -hmm. um, Paul Oster, Ludmila Ulitska. I read and read all of her novels. I think is she's a great master. Mm -hmm of the world. Do you read her in Russian or in Bulgarian? Lubmin well, I, I prefer mainly to read in Bulgarian because uh, that way I can feel everything, I can understand mm. everything uh, faster. But uh, I read also in Russian and uh, I read many professional, professional literature in English mm. and now I start to read uh, fiction. Mm. in English and uh, I think that uh, it is the beginning of beautiful friendship <laughs> with English literature, yeah, yeah, really. Um, what about Bulgarian literature? What's the kind of the contemporary scene like in Bulgaria at the moment for writing? Well, we have uh, literature with many different faces. Uh, we have many poets, but um, I think that for now I prefer uh, classical poems, but uh, uh, we have uh, really interesting uh, short storytellers. Mm. Uh, for example, Ola Stoyanova, she's uh, also a traveler and a journalist, and she has uh, really brilliant pieces. Mm. Uh, also, Zdravka Eftimova, and I think she's uh, translated in English. Mm. I think she has published a short stories collection and novels in mm. English. We've tried the different things. There is a very, there are very beautiful books, very interesting, very experimental. So the short story form is popular. Well, uh, actually. It's not so popular, <laughs> but uh, yeah, also uh, publisher prefer, uh, publishers prefer novels. Mm. Well, I hope that you're, you're weak in Norwich. It seems so short, <laughs> but um, I hope that it's been inspiring for your short stories. Thanks for listening and thanks to Ivanka for the interview and the short story. If you want to follow us as individuals, you can follow me on Twitter at StephXMcKenna. Simon, uh, Tonimus, and Peggy, uh, Hughes Peg. We're all fascinating people, so you definitely should.
You can follow the National Centre for Writing on social media, Twitter and Instagram, we're at Writers' Centre, and Facebook, you'll find us by searching National Centre for Writing. Please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks again, keep writing, and we'll catch you on the next very exciting episode, which will see the return of Sarah Perry to the podcast. She'll be delivering the Harriet Martineau Lecture at this year's Norfolk and Norwich Festival. Seriously not to be missed. Mm -hmm.